0: far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. This is your host, Chuck Sexton, CEO of Next Move Group, and this is our 150th episode. We're going to continue our series of bourbon and business talks this time because it's the 150th episode with co-founder majority shareholder of next move group chad chancellor
0: i cannot believe it's our 150th episode so three years i guess three years we've been doing these episodes so uh i can honestly say i'm glad i don't have to do every one of them so i'm glad to uh, join in once in a while <laughs> well when i get to
1: 140 episodes myself we'll do another special episode and recap and maybe we can do some comparative analytics and see who got the most listeners so. there you
0: go i know you're already getting more listeners than i did at the end i got a bunch at first and i tired out so it worked out
1: <laughs> well look uh, today's pour because i like to educate on bourbon a little bit being a kentucky boy and the fact that i love bourbon we are going to sit here and sip on knob creek knob creek is a nine-year bourbon and knob creek is a unique name for a bourbon do you know why i do not It is the name of a creek that ran through Abraham Lincoln's family farm. Hmm. A lot of people, you know, Illinois claims Lincoln. A lot of states try to claim Lincoln. Lincoln was born in the state of Kentucky. And Knob Creek ran through his family farm. Knob Creek is owned by Beam Suntory, so Jim Beam. And I always joke with people. They ask me what kind of bourbon I like. like, Oh, you you enjoy Jim Beam, Maker's Mark? And I always say, Jim Beam is what I drank in high school. Maker's Mark is what I drank when I was college age. But then I graduated from both of those, and I drink the good stuff. now. So we're
0: doing good with this, yeah. Well, it is good tasting bourbon, this right here that I have. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a scotch drinker, but I do drink bourbon with all you Kentucky boys. And uh, Tony Rick got me on that Woodford Double Oaked, and I done bought me a bottle of that down at the beach at the Kentucky Derby. But this Knob Creek is very good. Knob Creek
1: is um, similar to some other bourbons. It's same made from a similar mash bill and recipe as Basil Hayden's because they're under the same brand of Beam Suntory. But they're aged a little differently. Um, so there's different tasting notes in both of them. So that's why you got to taste all the different bourbons. And once you learn to taste bourbon, you can really pick up on the notes.
0: So what would you say? I mean, it has a very good, is it any wonder I like it since I like scotch? Yeah, like you like it? this have a smoky taste? Yeah.
1: Well, it, I wouldn't say smoky as much as I would say oaky. You're really picking up yeah. the char from the barrel in this one and it's finishing with a nice caramel. Which
0: is why I like that wood for double oak that Tony yeah. put me on. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because it's a
1: little stronger. And so there's a difference in strength of bourbon and spice in bourbon. So if you have a higher rye content in your bourbon mash bill, it's gonna be a little spicier than those that have a higher corn content, which is gonna make it sweeter and smoother.
0: So you know all about so I have a friend in New Orleans who took me to this scotch bar. They had like a thousand scotches mm-hmm. and they would bring me these samples and I would taste them and they'd be oh you like more peat. I don't even know what peat is. You like more smoke or whatever. And they got it down to the scotch I like. So it sounds like you could do that with the bourbon. Peat's the basis for scotch. Just well, yeah. like corn but is they the basis like for bourbon. But so I would have the bourbon and I'd say, oh, I like this and better than that. I like going to the eye doctor. And they said, well, you like more peaty stuff. And here they come with more stuff, and I just kept drinking. So
1: some Canadians took me out one time to let me try scotch because they were all scotch drinkers, but they love bourbon too. And they said, oh, Chaka, you know, you've, you've given us all this nice bourbon, eh? So we're going <laughs> to let you try some scotch. And so they gave me one. I said, well, the only one I've ever really heard of uh, is Lagavulin because I watched Parks and Rec, and mm. that, the guy on there drank Lagavulin. And they said, okay, we'll get you some of that. And after I took one sip, they sat there and started laughing because it's really peaty. I mean, it—it it was. We, it, I felt like I put my mouth on the floor of a forest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have liked it then.
1: <laughs> so today, I want to talk to Chad a little bit about his business background. He started a private company here with Next Move Group and brought myself and Ivy Stanley on board. And so, I want to talk about business from that perspective. We'll maybe talk about economic development a little bit, but I want to talk about the private side of it. So. Eight years into Next Move Group, take us back to how it started. When did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
0: Well, and I would say I like where you're going with this show. Uh, I don't know that I've ever been interviewed from an entrepreneurial. Chuck said, let's talk about the business side of Next Move Group. Let's not really talk economic development. And I've talked economic development until I'm blue in the face. So this might be a, a, a refreshing. So I don't know that I ever had a moment that I wanted to start it. But I will tell you in Mobile, Alabama, I met Ed McCallum with McCallum Sweeney. He has passed away. He was a big-time site selector, and he had a project looking in Mobile. I got on the elevator with him, just he and I, and I, and he told me what he did. And I thought, that's really cool, you know, a site selector. First time I ever heard of it. And he had this project there. project ended up going to Kingsport, Tennessee, which was our first climb, as it turns out. But I remember being in that elevator with him and thinking that's really cool. I never did well with authority, like even when I was in school. I didn't want to listen to the school teachers and all. I didn't like having bosses. And if you read up on entrepreneurs, that that makes an entrepreneur. So I think that probably uh, most likely I always had it in me, but I, none of my family were business people, so I never yeah. saw what an entrepreneur was. But standing on that elevator with him, I thought that might be something I want to do, but I don't know that I ever had a moment where I was like, all right, I'm an entrepreneur now. I mean, I I don't know they ever saw that until I went and did it.
1: I have to say there's some similarities similarities there because when I was in school, I was always uh, getting – I made good grades. I was smart, but I always got marked up because Chuck's not listening today. Uh, Chuck's talking too much in class. He's goofing around with his friends. So I get that part of it. Did you ever have any formal education in business?
0: Yeah, but out of pure accident. So I went to Mississippi State University and majored in professional golf management and that's just that believe it or not that degree comes out of the business school so i never had any business people in our family there was nobody so i didn't know what business was really and um but i was a great golfer i was great you know i wasn't nowadays these guys are really great you know i was scratch golfer and i went to mississippi state to be professional golf management and i didn't like the golf business i interned in the woodlands texas in houston When Enron hit, I was there the day all the Enron stuff broke, believe it or not. I had to tell these little old ladies they couldn't play golf that day. Their membership was no (laughs) longer good because Enron didn't pay the bill, And I hated it. You had to get out to the golf course every morning at 5. You had to work on the holidays. And so I dropped out of that, but I was too far along in my business degree. So I finished getting a business degree. So I have a degree in marketing with a minor in human resources, which is funny because all these years later we do executive searches, which is human resources. And I think our strength is marketing. And so uh, I totally got a business degree on accident. It just happened to be in that school. Uh, But looking back now, it's been tremendous as we do all the stuff we do, uh, particularly on the HR side with all the executive searches we do.
1: Well, since you hit on marketing, I want to ask, how did you come up with the name Next Move
0: Group? Well, if you heard the name we was going to be, it's embarrassing. But I (laughs) I guess I'll tell it. So Alex and I had already talked about, uh, you know, starting a business. And we were bannering about names. And right from the start, I knew that we, I wanted to do site selection and executive search. I knew that from the start. And I was trying to come up with a name that would make for both. But at the time, there was this whole movement around value-added stuff. Value-added is value-added that. Our first name was going to be Value-Added Associates. Va. Can you imagine how horrible? Honest to God, I have a logo with that. Uh, I think we, I
1: remember that logo. We were
0: going to be five. Value Added an Associates, and I said, "This something don't feel right to me." <laughs> and it one, don't really roll
1: off the tongue. That's right.
0: And Alex was like, "Well, if you don't like it, come up with something better." And one day we we're just sitting around, probably having a bourbon like this, and uh, saying stuff. And I said, "Well, what we're really doing is helping people with their next move, whether it's a site selection or executive search." And he said, "Next Move Group." And I said, "That's it." And we—that was it. But he came up with a knight. I never thought of that. But he said that in chess, the knight is the piece that can hop around and mm-hmm. jumps. And he said that makes it strategic, so we need to be a knight. So that's how the logo came
1: Nope, that was uh, very smart on his part. And then, and I actually got asked that question not too long ago, why is the knight the logo? And that's the exact explanation I gave without knowing that's why.
0: <laughs> well, see, I would have rather been a rook. You know, he can go the whole length of the board. But Alex said, no, the knight is strategic. Let's be a knight. Yes,
1: that, I well, agree Well, so that. that's what we was. So talking of Alex, Alex is a uh, 45% owner of the business. You're 55%. What made you bring on a business partner to start with?
0: You know, it's funny. When I was doing it, I had people tell me, you don't need a partner. And a partner's expensive because, you know, you could pay a person a salary and not have a partner. And uh, uh, I have since went to listen to an entrepreneur that has something called the 5-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. Mm-hmm. And he says he takes on a partner in every business he goes in. And looking back, I think it was smart. Alex and I are totally opposite. He moved to St. Louis. I moved to New Orleans. And he was able to kind of penetrate that Midwest market. Um, so at the time, I did it because I didn't want to pay. Some, I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I had enough sense to know that. And uh, and I didn't want to pay somebody some exorbitant salary. I didn't want to hire somebody just right out of college either. So I thought that equity was better at the time. And yeah. so, so he took 45%. And uh, I took 55%, and that's the way it's always been. And, you know, it's funny. We've kind of changed our roles over time, but we've always found our way. And so now he's got a very distinct role, and he seems to be doing a good job at it. So I'm very happy with the whole, the whole setup. And, and I've got my role, and I'm doing it.
1: Yeah, and folks ask me a lot, you know, what, what's Alex focus on? And Alex is very good with the executive search side. Much better than team. I am. And I think it bodes well. If you think about our experiences, uh, both professionally and in life, You and I have led economic development organizations, and so being on the site and gone and recruited. Mm -hmm. And when you're recruiting aggressively as an economic development professional, you're essentially being a site selector for your own community. So... Our experience in that, I think, lends to us focusing on the economic development services we provide to communities and EDO organizations and then doing the site selection piece
0: right. as yeah, well. Right. You know, executive searches, when it comes to selling that search, I'm probably as good as there is in a whole country. I don't mean to be arrogant, but, you know, you got me a bourbon in me. <laughs> I'm probably as good as that whole country. But when it comes to working the process, I think Alex is far better than me because I develop an opinion. I decide you know into the search hey this person's the best economic developer you ought to hire them well sometimes the community doesn't want to listen to you and i'm not real good at that and so alex is able to roll with the flow on that regard and uh, and i think is way better at that than i am and so you know he's kind of taking that division and run with it and i think we probably do more searches than anybody now so i'm very happy with that setup.
1: okay well look i want to take just a brief moment for us to get refills on our bourbon and to hear from our sponsors
0: I want to thank LocationOne.com, some of you know it as Lois, for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best Buildings and Sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my Buildings and Sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well paducah bordered illinois and was within 30 or so miles of missouri indiana and tennessee so what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database well lois does that for you looking back i should have put my bills and sites on lois it's also easy to use for an economic developer it's just like using facebook it walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth and the thing i like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I wanna be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location 1.com book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success.
1: All right, we've got fresh bourbon in our hands. Uh, and so that everyone knows, if you hear background noise while we're on this podcast, Chad and I are sitting in a bar while we're on the road. That just happens sometimes, and you got to do what you got to do.
0: That's
1: right. So, one of the things I think is important for, because our audience is mainly economic developers, and the purpose of doing this new podcast format is to bring private business thought processes to them and hear from private business people. But I also would like, because you're both. What would you say are the similarities and differences between being an economic developer and an entrepreneur?
0: Let me do the differences first. That's probably easier. So, economic developer, I was always in small to mid sized towns where if you landed one deal a year, you know, you were a hero or whatnot. An entrepreneur, you got to land like two or three deals a week. So, just the deal flow is a, is a totally different thing. As far as the similarities, uh, my mentors used to be economic developers. But when I was in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, our board had successful lawyers and construction people and others. And I ended up actually kind of listening to them as mentors and, and realized I'm just as smart as these people. If they can run multi million dollar businesses, so can I. And so I think as I got to really knowing them and all, I started kind of thinking of it more from the business perspective. So I think economic developers, if you listen to your successful entrepreneurs in town, you can learn how to be a good business person. Now, the problem is you end up having to listen to all your elected officials and all these other people who may or may not understand business. But really, I think two or three people influenced me in Paducah. David Denton was one. Ken Hunt was one. Well, I saw them do business, and I actually thought to myself, not as a disrespect to them, but I thought to myself, I'm just smart Marzell. If they can yeah. run a $10 million business, so can I. And so I think that what the economic developers, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, I mean, it's the economic development is the perfect gateway to it because you're meeting all the successful people in your town. And they'll have similar traits and similar thought processes. If you can start thinking like them, you'll be successful.
1: Yeah, I think you're right with it being a perfect gateway if you're taking advantage of that knowledge base and mentorship while you have those folks sort of in your circle. Uh, If you're not doing that, if you're not spending time with them and understanding how they run their business, you know, that's not going to help you so much.
0: Yeah, before I moved to Paducah, my mentors were economic developers, and I'm thankful for that. I mean, it got me to where I was. But when I was there, my mentors became more business people, and it's not that one's better than the other. That's just what naturally happened to me. And so, uh, I started seeing myself as wanting to sit on their side of the table. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to own the business, instead of be a player in the game, I want mm-hmm. to own the business. So, uh, But economic development gave me that gateway, I mean yeah. it gave me that access. But the difference is, if there's economic developers that want to own your own business, the difference is you you got to have a constant deal flow. you got to do three or four deals a week to make money, whereas in economic development, you do a deal a year, you make money. So you. Once you get used to it, it's not hard, it, it, it's not a struggle, but it probably took me two years to get used to how many prospects we needed in our funnel, how much deal flow we needed to make the airplane go up. We always made enough money to afford Alex and I, but I never just wanted that. I mean, to make the plane fly, you got to have a constant supply of deals.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And of course, we're seeing that firsthand, Ivy and I both being on board now, and Getting into running the organization and uh, uh, being on the executive team, and starting really kind of taking things from this point on. I mean, I, I, probably one of your last big projects will be the, the Bismarck Mandan uh, strategic yeah, plan we're that we're Bismarck doing right today. now.
0: And I will say that uh, we were talking about this last night with Ivy. You know, when I was a kid, if you were to tell, I always thought I'd be successful. I just always thought that I was like one of the smartest kids in the class and I voted the most likely to succeed. All that stuff. But I don't know how. If you'd have told me that we would have a business where we had clients from Bismarck, North Dakota, to Brazil, to Germany, to uh, Kennebec, Maine, to Washington, uh, Colorado, I wouldn't believe that. I, I would have thought that we would have been successful and maybe our success was just the southeast, and I'd have been happy with that. I would have never imagined that we would have the geographic. I wouldn't have known that people would have related to this little country Mississippi boy and they did you know and now we're big enough that they relate to y'all but I'm saying I don't know that I would have thought that. so uh, and the, what I found is the more you're yourself, the more I, I didn't try to be anything other than I was, the more people related to that. And so that's the part of entrepreneurship I didn't know till I did it.
1: You know I agree. Um, and I think also the the southeast because of the fact that economic development has done so well, in the southeast, it's one of the, the largest growing region of the United States. I think other areas of the U.S. are starting to look at, okay, look, maybe we shouldn't be hiring consultants and firms out of New York and Chicago where they're losing population like crazy. We should be talking to people who've been doing this type of work in the area that's actually showing growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We won a deal in New York last week, and we were Zooming with the committee, and they said, you know, we love everything you're saying, uh up. Convince us though that you will be able to connect with rural New York, and I said rural New York is not one bit different than rural Missouri or rural Alabama or rural or wherever. I said uh, when we started our business, I didn't know one soul in West Fargo, North Dakota. We've done work there. I didn't know a soul in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Bismarck, North Dakota, Kenny Beck, Maine, and they've all been happy with us. And that company, uh, that town hired us. Yeah, you know. So and it's the truth. I think that people. Uh, And that surprised me. I did not know that until I got out on the road. When I was raised in rural Mississippi shelter, I lived a sheltered life. We didn't really go anywhere. I just thought we were the only people like us. No, 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 no. I did a tour. Two weeks ago, Florida State University had me train all these counties in Florida. And you think of Florida as tourism at all their economic development boards, on what they ought to be doing. And we got rave reviews. I mean, we it was like the people had never heard what we had to say. And I'm sitting there thinking everybody ought to know this. And But what I realized is we all have the same problems. It don't matter if you're from New York or Maine or Colorado or, or Mississippi. We got the same problems. And the more that you relate to that, the more people will respond.
1: Well, and it's, it, what you said there, too, is true. What some things that you and I see as common sense might not be that way to other people. And it goes back to experience. It's not lack of education or not being intelligent. It's just experience in, in doing what we do. So we've talked about the good things. And a lot of times we talk about mistakes we see in economic development. But I want to hear more about mistakes you've made in business. What would be some one big thing or a couple big things that you would say are mistakes you made you learned from?
0: I hate to say we had not made many mistakes, because we have. Um, every time we've made a mistake, though, we've learned from it. And we really have. Probably the mistakes i made is I was a little too temperamental at first, because in economic development, like I said, you don't have to win but a deal a year. So if you're temperamental and make people mad, what difference does it make? You only got to win a deal a year, and this right here, you have to win more than that. And. Uh, So, you know, I probably burned some bridges with uh, mentors and referrers and even a client or two back when I thought they hired the wrong person, (laughs) as an example, when we're doing the executive search that I've learned over the years not to. But we caught a really, we we caught a few big breaks. Uh, One, when Goldman Sachs, you know, we did the 10,000 Small Business Accelerator program. That was a big break for us, and it wouldn't have come if I did not live in New Orleans and the New Orleans economic development people. Michael Hector all them didn't help me get it. And they really taught a sophistication. I mean, they taught to think about processes. I think we'd always been successful, but before they got in our business, I never thought about replacing myself. I just always thought I would be the CEO of the business. And they taught us, no, you need to find people to replace yourself. You need to own this business, and you need to find people to be your CEO so you can go and do other things. I never thought about that. That was never a concept in my mind. You wouldn't be sitting here today if I hadn't, because I'd still be trying to do everything. And so what I think the reason we're growing now is I figured out what I'm really good at, and I'm doing it, and I'm trying to not do the stuff I'm not good at. And Whereas in the old days, i tried try to do everything. And I think a lot of small businesses out there, my advice to you Figure out what you're good at, and you hire people to do everything else. And you do what you're good at, and you'll probably excel.
1: So kind of building off of that, um, we're talking about mistakes. What would you say are some of the hardest decisions you've had to make? They may be related to the mistakes, or they may be totally separate uh, from The those.
0: hardest thing about being in business is when when, where there's a client. We have fired clients before. I know that sounds odd to fire a client. But the hardest thing is along the way, you will leave people behind, and it costs you sleep at night. I have had many sleepless nights, whether it's a refer, I mean, I have people who's helped us before, a client that you end up getting a disagreement with, somebody that works for you, and, because they don't, the vision and you don't match anymore, and I've had that happen. And uh, we outgrew ourselves one time, where we had a client that was more sophisticated, then one of the refers we we uh, one of our subcontractors and we had to have words over that and that's very very difficult. I've never had a problem. I've always put business first, and that's probably cost me some friendships. It's, but the hardest thing is um, having to make those calls. And Alex and I have usually agreed on them, but he's usually said I made them too fast. I don't think that's I, I don't think that's true. Well, but we some... would agree we would disagree on it. Right? <laughs> but I'm telling you that's hard. If I had known. When we started the business, that along the way you're going to have to leave some people behind and cost you some friendships. I don't know that I would have done it. I don't know that I would, As much as I love business, that's the hardest part. But when you're sitting here eight years later, you got no choice. You're in it. I mean, yeah. you got, you got to go and do it. And so that's been probably the hardest part.
1: All right, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll be back to wrap this conversation up over uh, another Pour of Bourbon.
0: We're on our second one. Yeah.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Executive Search Spotlight. And this week, we're going to look at Rusk, Texas. The Rusk, Texas EDC is looking for an economic development director. The Crossroads of East Texas is what Rusk is called. It's located kind of directly in the middle of, you drew a triangle, around Dallas, Texarkana, and Houston. And they are looking for a development-minded professional, somebody that can help get hotel development, housing development retail development. So if you're interested in living Texas, 0% income tax, you're a development minded economic developer, come look at this position. For more information, go to the next move backslash rusk. And we're back with our last segment here uh, for the next move group. We are jobs podcast with Chad Chancellor, the co-founder. And I wanted to know, What's the craziest thing you've seen since you started this business?
0: The craziest thing I've seen, you could almost put it into different buckets, like the craziest thing I've seen on the executive search or the crazy on site selection, but on a site selection, the craziest thing I saw, we had a prospect. I won't tell the name of the town, but we had a prospect, our client, site selection client, looking at a small community about an hour from a pretty good-sized metro area. And the economic developer had worked to make the visit go perfect. And it went perfect. We had an international client that we were representing, and it went well. We were looking at a big, empty industrial building. Well, the building was represented by a big city realtor from the big city. Now, we was an hour out of town in the rural, but we was only an hour from the big, big city. And they, ever who owned the building, chose this big city realtor. So we're coming out, and I'm telling you all, it went perfect. They had not made a single mistake. The food was perfect. By the way, we get fed too many subways when we're doing a site visit. Feed us something local. Yeah, let oh, We I'd said we weren't that. going to talk about economic development. Yep. Anyway. But anyway, <laughs> we're coming out the last 30 seconds, and we're in this big F-150 with the realtor. Economic developers are backseat, me and my client. And the client says, by the way, this is fantastic. I've loved it. What happened to the industry that was here before in this big city realtor? And the economic developer had done perfect. mayor had done perfect. Big city realtor said, my God, have you not read the paper? And my client said, no, you know, international. He said, what do you mean? He said, it was by far the worst union situation in this state oh, in God. 50 years. He said, they shot the plant manager's tire. They harassed his wife. They threatened him. He said, God, it was awful. Everybody knows about it. How do you not know about it? And the economic developer's face got white. It was a lady. She knew She knew the deal was ruined, no matter how good she This was the last 15 to 30 seconds. If that realtor had shut his mouth for 15 seconds, we'd have been out of his F-150. And the visit went perfect. They'd have probably located the We got in the car, and the, and the, my client said, my God, take this off the list. He was like, that's probably great. On the executive search, the craziest thing I ever saw, we were doing a search for an area. We had them 20 or 30 candidates, of which I would consider 10 to be top shelf, you know. Mm -hmm. And this particular community decided to only interview people who were from there. I swear to God. We had them people from that same state, two counties over. Now I'm not talking way away. We're not talking Alaska or Hawaii. (laughs) We had people from the same state, two or three counties. Nope. The only three people they interviewed were from that town. Irrega- and they didn't have economic development experience, irregardless of our recommendations. And so that's actually when I said Alex will be better at the search process than me because I thought, what have we done out here? So those are two of the craziest things I've seen. How did that end up for him, Or can you say? The person's still employed to this day, so I guess Okay, it, I well, guess all right. It that's not up. about Okay. okay.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, sometimes that works out. It depends on the person's experience and background, but sometimes it does not work
0: out. don't yeah, know it seems that worked out. And honestly, a few times that I thought the town was hiring the wrong person, those people are still there. So I was probably the one that was wrong about it, honestly.
1: All right, so I know we said we weren't going to talk about economic development. But we're sitting here, and you, you just literally said it. But how can economic developers help up-and-coming entrepreneurs, given you were an economic developer and now have built a successful small business?
0: Well, this is going to be controversial. Uh And I said it today in Bismarck, and I say it because I mean it. In economic development, you don't need to spend much time helping startup companies. Find you somebody else in town to do that. We were a startup company, I remember. So many startups don't have credit. They don't have uh, a business plan written out. And you're going to waste so much time helping them. When we started, I don't know anybody really could have helped us. We had to kind of go do it ourselves. Well, you can make a difference is if you can find in your community companies that are doing 500000 in revenue and have two or three employees, that means they've already got contracts, they're on to something, whether it's the gas station, whether it's the person, the mechanic or the oil chain, whatever. If you can spend your time getting them access to capital and expertise, you will grow. I look at us. When Goldman Sachs picked us for their accelerator program, we had two employees and we've now got seven uh, plus subcontractors, and we have, uh, we have quadrupled our revenue four times, and there was no incentive to us. Why? They gave us access to education. They flew the head of the NBA union negotiation to New Orleans to train me on negotiations. They literally flew this lady in to do that, and they gave us access to a line of credit. that was only a $50,000 line of credit, but when we started Next Move Group, we took no debt. We just cash floated ourselves, and uh, but through the Goldman Sachs program they showed us you need employees, you need to do this or that or the other. So they talked us into getting a, a uh, $50,000 very low interest line of credit, that was part of the program. So they gave us education and capital. We used that line of credit, at the time we hired Imran Ahmed out of Southern Miss, he was our first ever employee, I probably wouldn't have hired him without that line of credit. and. He came on board, and now we got all these things. If it wasn't for us hiring him, it might have just still been Alex and I out there because I was always kind of debt-averse. and uh, So I think that communities out there, if you can figure out how to get education to your small businesses, you may have owners on Main Street that serve meat and three lunches that have no earthly idea how to put their menu on Facebook, how to let everybody in that town know, come down here and eat lunch today for $9. They may not know that. You may assume they do. We didn't know the frequency of which you had to market. When we, when I did that program, we used to send like one email a week. And our newsletter, our, our listeners will know this. Uh, and I would think, I don't want to worry people to death. And Goldman Sachs said, Are you out of your mind? They're not going to buy from you anyway if they don't want to hear from you. You need to be emailing them two and three times a day. I said, Two and three times a day, we're going to worry them to death. They said, Try it for a week. Every time we send an email, we make $300 or $400. Would you send more or less? More. That's right. I would have never thought that. They taught us that. But they also gave us a $50,000 line of credit, which don't sound like much money. And it's not now because we've grown so much. But that gave us the confidence to go out and hire our first employee instead of just being Alex and I. So I think if I was an economic developer again, I'd make a big part of my program. Yes, recruiting, but I would make a big part. How am I going to identify those businesses that are owned to something, they, they've reached $500,000, they have got something, but maybe they need some training like Chad did. Maybe they need a little uh, access to capital, and so we can double them. Now we've grown four times. We pay taxes to everybody. I think we pay too much in taxes. I'm going to have to get a new accountant. She's too conservative. We, we <laughs> send taxes to everywhere. And we never got one incentive why we did that, because Goldman Sachs trained us to. There's no reason that these communities can't do that. But they waste too much time helping the startup company. When we started, nobody needed to help us. We gotta go prove that. We gotta go find a client and sell it. But there does come a time where you need help to grow.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, thinking about scalability and, and what's happening next move group, you know, right now we've got what four site selection projects going on. We've got two uh, that'll be coming up in the next three months that are already uh, committed to us, but that process won't start for for the next till the next quarter. And um, then on the economic development services side, we've got so many clients right now we're working with across the U.S. And then the executive search side. I'm, hopefully, you all are getting our emails uh, and you're seeing where we have opportunities for career See advancement. Several more coming. Yeah, there are several several more coming on the executive search side. So it's exciting for me to come in uh, to be a part of the growth, uh, to continue to push the growth. Um, You know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur myself. Uh, When I came to work for you when I was 28, I set goals for myself. In Paducah. So when I was in strategic planning and risk management prior to getting into economic development, I learned uh, the process of setting personal goals. And I set a personal goal of having my own company by the time I was 40. And so Ivy and I had actually had discussions personally with each other about starting our own consulting firm. And, and lo and behold, a month after I turned 40, you called me and asked me if I would be willing to come on board as CEO. And I looked at Ivy and I said, you know, Chad's got a great business. He's got a great brand out there. It's exactly what you and I both want to do. It's where we want to continue to grow personally and professionally. And so it was really perfect timing. I mean, it was almost kismet I mean, the way it happened. Is there anything else you think we need to talk about as we close out the program today?
0: Well, we needed a shot in the arm. We were growing, but I'm tired. And uh, I don't know. I've been doing this eight years now. And, uh, see, I was an economic development CEO when I was 26, 25, 26, in Larchburg, Tennessee. And then in Paducah, I was making big money, as you know, when I was, like, 28. Well, that puts pressure on you. Well, yeah. So I've kind of been in a pressure cooker since... uh, well, since two thousand and eight, so for fourteen years. And when you own your own business, it's no pressure cooker like that. I mean, knowing that you got to pay taxes or payroll or <laughs> whatever, it's no, it's no pressure cooker like that. So I used to get excited by winning a big site selection deal or winning a big executive search. And and over the last year, I found I wouldn't get as excited over that anymore because we already done it. I like I like new things, you know. Well, we already done a lot of those things, and so. Um, I think to my credit, and you may say I'm wrong, I looked at my own self and saw I was getting a little tired. You know, I lost 60 pounds. That Maybe I threw off my metabolism. <laughs> you know, maybe I threw off, maybe that's why I'm tired. I think your
1: B12's too low. You think that's what
0: it is? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But no, I, I w- and I still have it when I need it. I mean, as you know, I can be, when I need to turn it on, I can. But mm-hmm. I have lost a little bit of the excitement about winning a deal because we won so many and it sounds bad but we won so many i just don't get that excited about it anymore and so i think you coming in right now has given us a shot in all my energy i'm a big energy person i'm far more interested in energy than i am education or this or the other i want energetic people I think you coming in has brought energy. You landed us our biggest site selection client ever in terms of revenue of the company. Fourteen billion, isn't that right? Yep. You let see my record was eight. You done outpunting me by two. Uh we, in one month. In one month's time, that's <laughs> right. We're we're landing we just landed executive searches in two new states we never been in before. Alex seems to be handling that. What really now excites me, and maybe you gonna say, Chad, you gotta get your eye on the ball. Uh, I'm more excited not about any particular client or site selection or whatever. I'm most excited about the movement and helping influence the whole profession. A few weeks ago, as you know, I did eight board trainings in Florida about economic development, why this even matters, what you ought to be doing. And they took to that. We received rave reviews. And that client's going to pay us far less than any of these site selections or executives. I mean, we'll do a board training for $5,000. That excites me because I want to influence the whole profession. These economic developers out there have a very difficult job. they got people coming at them from every angle. They have a difficult job. So I want us to be bigger than any one client. I want us to defend the economic development profession. That's why we went all in on the movement. That was Alex's idea, and uh, we did that two years ago, and it's turned out to be, I think, if I look back, I think there's two or three things that set us to going that set us on our way. One was the Goldman Sachs picking us. Mm -hmm. Two, the World Trade Center in New Orleans chose us to do their executive search because I lived in New Orleans and met the right people, and New Orleans supported me. The World Trade Center has a connotation that just gets people's attention. You put that logo on your stuff and people have heard, you know. That got us to going. And in uh, the movement, the movement got us to going because people uh, started logging in and watching our content. Now we got 150 shows. And uh, so I think right now, as proud as I am of this big site selection we're doing, I'm more proud of you for getting it and how you're working and how excited you are. Because I've now been through that. You know, Where's wh- me now going to looking at 20 different sites? Y'all are looking at sites next week. I don't want to yep. look at no more sites. i don't look at sites. I don't want to look at no more sites. <laughs> What I'm interested in is helping these economic developers get along better with their boards, helping their mayors understand what they're doing, because I've sat in that seat, and I think that's where we can really influence the industry. I'm more interested in that than any one check or the other one showing up in the mail. And so, as you know, the movement, we're coming up on two years. And so on our two-year anniversary, we now have, I don't know, God knows how many members, because we've not only got individual members, but we've got power companies that have joined. which is Kansas City Power and Westar, Kentucky Power, AEP Kentucky Power, Gulf Power has joined. If you count all of them, it's no telling how many members. So we're actually going to raise our price double. On June the 7th or 8th, I had to look at the calendar. And the reason being, we have 150 videos in there. On how to get along with your mayor, how to develop an industrial park, how to recruit, how to this, how to that, how to help your small businesses, just what we've talked about. And I don't think it's right for the new people to get in at the same price. And so, uh, But what I'm excited about, we're sitting in Bismarck, North Dakota today. They're a movement member. So yeah. they found value in what we put that's out, right. and then they hired us to come right their whole strategic plan. And so that's the part that really, if you ask me, You know, obviously now I don't want the plane to crash, so we need enough cash flow to pay for us all. But what really (laughs) excites me, and you may think this is odd, is not the new search in New York or the new German client. It's helping that economic developer in rural Florida or rural North Dakota make a difference in their town and have a better quality of life for the whole self.
1: Well, I don't disagree with that. I mean, we grew up very similarly, and um, I like... Like you, uh, I enjoy helping the economic development profession, helping especially the rural economic developer make an impact and get the buy-in that they deserve and that they need. And one of the things I've really enjoyed is as we sort of strategize, we strategize regularly once a week as an executive team. We have a set meeting where we talk about things. And Ivy and I have been bringing ideas to the group. And a lot of times those end up being future movement, education, training, or opportunities. Came
0: up with two last night.
1: And I I really think that, and that's probably another reason we need to increase the price at this point. Because we've had these loyal movement members. And we're going to be putting more content out there. And we want to make sure that we... You know, reward those loyal movement members for being members for so long and Biz make Mar- it more
0: exclusive. Biz Bark, Mandan Dan North Dakota has been a member since day one. Yep. so they are not have to pay what somebody pays to come in there. So that's what we're doing to fix that.
1: I agree. Well, look, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, thanks for the last word. Thanks for being on the podcast this week. We we got a chance to travel together this week, and so that was made, made it easy for 150th episode. Um, we will continue to move forward and push forward. Hope everyone had a great memorial day weekend you're probably all out partying you're in the sun you're probably in florida and you're listening to our podcast because you love it so much chad and i are going to change clothes get comfortable we're going to go enjoy a nice uh continue to enjoy bourbon
0: and enjoy the scene this is a nice town people should visit here this now we came in the summer but i would like to come in the winter one time to just see what i've been to duluth minnesota in the winter been to winnipeg cold as i ever was was in winnipeg but i do want to leave with one last piece of advice One of your questions a while ago was advice for entrepreneurs. I don't know that I answered it right. You just said it. For those of you economic developers who want to be entrepreneurs, if you've ever thought about this or you've got entrepreneurs in your town, this is our 150th episode. We send marketing emails every day. What Goldman Sachs taught me and what's helped us scale our business is that you got to take your marketing to the umpteenth level. If right now you're posting one Facebook a week, you need to post a day. If you're calling site selectors once a month, you need to call. You've got to take your marketing to a new level. So you actually saying it made me think of it. We've done 150 podcasts. I can't even think. Honestly, if you think back, probably 75 of them were just average. You know, I probably messed them up as a host. (laughs) But it's the one or two that people like to get, you know. But for economic developers, for entrepreneurs out there, you're sitting here today. We can afford to pay you this ridiculous high salary we're paying you. And Ivy and all the rest of y'all, because we upped our marketing when Goldman Sachs told me to, against my gut feeling. They said, You need to be sending emails every day to sell people. And I said, I don't want to bother people. They said, Then you'll never make the big time. Try it. And I did, and here we are. So, my parting words would be If you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to have a marketing strategy. You can't just rely on who you know. So-and-so's going to help us. you got to figure out how to constantly, constantly push stuff out there. And if you do that, you can be successful in business.
1: And be goal-oriented. That's right. Be a goal-oriented person. You, you obviously, you're going to have goals from a professional standpoint, but you need to have personal goals for growth and what you want to accomplish so you can see the future and start working towards that.
0: Well, and the goal, look at us. A few weeks ago, I thought our marketing strategy was off. We were getting too many leads, and they weren't good enough. I said, I'd rather have one good one a week than 20 bad ones. We changed it just a touch. And look here, we've gotten two site selection leads the last week. One more. We just yeah, ordered they just another, came another bourbon. And asked for another one, <laughs> but we're, we're through talking. I'm yeah. tired. I I'm just too. Got finished giving an hour long talk in Bismarck.
1: Yep, we're going to have another bourbon. We're going to go to dinner tonight. We hope you guys had a great Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic or anything you want to hear on the podcast, reach out to chuck and nextmovegroup.com we'll make sure to get it on there until next time we'll see you